Oh, you must have turned it on for me. Or I turned it off when you, I went one way and you went the other. This morning uh, is going to be a communion service. Uh, and there'll be some teaching going on this morning. And the music will all be done at the back end as we celebrate um, the accomplishments of the communion service. Okay? That is, that, that's the plan today. The children will still be released to go to Children's Church around 11.15 or thereabouts, as we always do. And um, we will uh, um, have the music uh, at the rear end, the back end, as, as we go into a celebration of, of communion. So let's begin with prayer. Uh, we have many things to pray about. Uh, much going on. Um, we want to continue to remember Tim and Rita and Heather, um, Mia. Um, we want to continue to remember uh, our missionaries uh, all around the world, but particularly that come out of this family. Um, so I'll ask for requests down that side. Do you have any special? Remember Tony? This morning, a special request for Tony. Remember Dan and his knee. Remember Charlie and, uh, according to Elma, his meanness. And it's hard for me to fathom, but that's how she always says it. And uh, um, so uh, any requests down that side at all? Any requests over here? Ted. Ted, yes, that's right. Monica said Ted isn't feeling well. And we do need to remember him in prayer. Uh, anything else from this side over here? Yes. Um, Ted's boss, Morrow, um, we're not sure, but I do think he's uh, fighting some cancer. Yeah. So we'd like to keep him in prayer. Right. And also one of his childhood best friends just found out that they're checking his lymph nodes because they don't look good, so we want to keep him in prayer. Yeah. And... Um, I have just another little announcement. I just found out I'm going to be a great-grandmother. Oh, isn't that where I agree? Wow. So, prepare for her because she's not saved. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, there's the possibility of two lives there that can be one to Christ. So, that's good. Any other prayer requests over here? Remember, remember uh, Joey. Joey just had some work done on a wrist, a hand, and another one in two weeks. And so we need to remember him because particularly in his case that those hands are so, uh, well, absolute and completely involved in what he does to provide for himself and his family. So we need to remember that. And so far it looks good, doesn't it, Joe? Yeah. Betty? Uh -huh. him yesterday. They were supposed to come back Friday. And uh, he told me that she had died. Oh, my. They were there. So he's coming back today. So I want to ask for prayer for him and his family. Her right. Family. Right. Right. Amen. I want to ask for prayer for my eyes. I've got issues going on with my eyes today. Yeah. Amen. Amen. 
Here comes Martha, and we can need to continue to remember her. Martha, how's Mary? Is she still in the hospital? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Any other? Okay. Um, next week, uh, it looks like David and Tara and uh, uh, Jesse and Sheldon will be out of town, so we need to remember them as they travel this coming week, going and coming. So with that then, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you now for all that you're doing. As we have faithfully brought to you every request, every need that we have on our heart today, some that are gone unspoken, but yet you, are, you know what they are. You know everything about us. You try our heart and you know everything about us. So as we come to you today, God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you without doubt, without fear, without wrath, we simply lay our hearts today and lay our request at your feet. And this is what you said, that the prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man would avail much. So the righteous man praying is bringing these requests before you. You know every one of them. You know every need. You know every circumstance. And as I lay them at your feet today, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, who was working over these, and our Lord, and our man in the Godhead, I ask you to go into the regions wherever those are of which we prayed today. We ask and begin to minister in them the process of recovery. Whether it's recovery of a situation, whether it's a recovery of something that has come across them physically, whether it is a recovery of something that comes across them mentally, whether it's a recovery of something that comes across them under whatever condition, all covered by the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. We lay them at your feet today, God, and in the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority that is in that name, I speak that name. And as that name is released, the very power and the presence and the purpose of Jesus Christ is revealed into every situation. People are comforted. People are brought to peace. People are healed. All because your name has brought comfort. Rest. Now, Father, we receive that today. We simply receive the promises of your word. Not the promises that are anything other, but the promises of your word. As with your promise to Peter, we bind anything that is coming against us. And we loose the power that is in the name of Jesus, that is the rock upon which this church is built. We release that power to minister and to make free. We release that power to do a mighty work of healing. And for all of that, Father, every bit of it, we will give you praise, we will give you honor, and we will give you glory in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, 
and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. If they will come this morning, Steve and Charles, to administer the offering. As always, we come to receive your gifts. We give from what we have received. That is important. We always give from what we have received. We don't give to get. We don't give on the concept of I'm giving so God owes me. We're giving on the concept of God you have done for me. God you have blessed me. God I have received from you. I've received the word of God. I've received air to breathe. I've come through surgery and I'm well. I've come through cataracts and I'm well. Wherever I am, whatever it is I have received, it is from that perspective that I'm giving to you so that the cycle of giving and receiving can begin all over again. Now, Father, I pray over this, mess this uh, offering today that you will bless it, that you will take it to the very length and nth degree of where it must go to accomplish the need that is required for financing to accomplish. I pray that as we give, we give it from the Spirit. And that Spirit says, we have received from you, God. Here is my offering. I ask it all in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you as you go. Now, put me up there, Sheldon, would you? This morning is communion service. In my, I'm 67, I preached my first message when I was 16. How many years would that be? It's a few. And in all of my years of ministry, I have, and going to church, as you can imagine, I have taken communion uh, countless times. And um, I have, uh, I'll need you in just a minute. I'll need you in just a minute, not yet. I've taken communion countless times. And I've heard preachers deal with communion in many different ways. Um, probably one of the greatest communions that I have ever seen or ever had to do we are going to try to have some experience of today. Because in that experience of communion, I watched families, husbands and wives, pray over their husband and their wife. That was one of the most powerful moments of communion that I have ever been engaged with. And we're going to do that today. But what I've never seen is anybody engage in communion that taught the full extent of communion. We've never had anybody in my ministry, in my lifetime, teach or offer communion under its full uh, umbrella. So today I'm going to teach you that. And... Uh, as we go through that, we're going to come to a point where we're going to pray. 
you're going to pray for yourself. You're going to pray for your husband and you're going to pray for your wife. And there you'll see the reason for this as I unfold communion service in 2024. Today we'll offer communion to you. We'll do it one by one. After I teach on the process of communion and we spend some time in prayer, we're going to ask you a question and administer communion. This is a very special time. So in reverential fear for our God and for the sharing of the sacrament of the body and the blood, I ask that no one leave the sanctuary. If late arrivals come to the door, you can allow them to enter, but please stay with me during the course of this service. And then those that are not here, I'll administer uh, to them directly the sacrament when they return. If you're in another room, I will administer communion to you um, as or after the children are dismissed uh, because I want husbands to be able to pray with their wives. And so you got me back there. Of course, that's Tara. David's not here. Um, Paul gives text and context to the seriousness of and the complexity of communion. And I want you to look at me, look with me at what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord, which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Philip, be quiet, Phil. Philip. And when he had given thanks, he break it. And take and said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Uh-oh. Okay. After the same manner, he also took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat the bread and drink, drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So what is it that Paul was given? Paul, he had been given the understanding. Now watch this because this is very important. Of how to explain and how to use the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And then to minister them to the people. If communion is not a ministry to the people, then communion goes as if it's just another five-minute session where we just pass it out like we throw out Skittles and everybody runs and grabs a handful. That's not what Paul found about communion. He would tell us why the body would matter, why the blood would matter, why the church needed to experience the offering of the sacrament, what is the experience supposed to complete in the life of a believer. All of this was, was produced for us by Paul. Now the body works this way. And I've shared this with you in times past, but it bears sharing again. The body comes 
with a beginning in the ministry of the soul. When Jesus bled from his head, from his sweat rather, and he was crying, Lord, if this be your will, not your will, let this pass from me, but if it is your will, let me move into it. Well, his will was broken. His bodily will was broken. The mind processes that include the, uh, 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 the, the crown of thorns that was put upon his head, okay, broke into the flesh, thereby causing the wounds that shed the blood. But as the flesh was broken, his mind, will, and emotions were all turned over and put in a brand new light for him and for us. And as we experience the body and the blood, we're not just experiencing what the shed blood did because we know it triggered grace and which made faith to be appropriated to grace for the shedding of blood for your salvation. But when they pierced his skin is whenever the, the, the total factor of the soulish realm was dealt with. The total factor of everything in your soul is dealt with by the body of G, by the piercing of the flesh of Jesus Christ. What you see now is no longer to be seen through the eyes of humanity. It's to be seen through the eyes of the bowels of mercy. What you hear now is not to be hearing the voice of a human or an intellect. You're to be hearing the voice of Jesus Christ. That's what happened when that skin was pricked and the blood flowed. Then, then it came up with the plucking of his beard. Well, what is what happened when the flesh was plucked? Well, the mouth began to speak a different thing. This is what Jesus said in Mark 16. When he said, you'll speak with a new tongue, you're going to speak with a new tongue of authority because of what happened to me. Then we go down to the back and we find the, the, the wounds that Isaiah described that were so great that they couldn't even be looked upon. His visage was so marred. That's his body. Why was his body marred? Why was his body marred? Because out of those wounds of the body, came both physical and spiritual healing. Now then we move on down to the, the piercing of the side. Why was that? Why did the body have to gush water and blood? Because that was the mechanism by which the new birth would occur and you would be brought into the church of God. Hmm. That body becomes awful important now, doesn't it? Because you can see how Jesus totally redefined everything about the spirit world as he hung on the cross. Everything about you that you had to understand that he was providing for you. Think about that. He was providing for you a new soul. He was providing for you a new vision. He was providing for you a new hearing. He was providing for you a new speaking. He was providing you healing physically and spiritually, all coming from his body. He was providing you an entrance to his church, a way to be born again, all from his body. He was providing for you an anointing from his hands as the blood flowed from his hands. But there was a piercing of the flesh. If there had been no piercing or destruction of the flesh, there would have been no blood. The flesh had to be destroyed. 
And the flesh had to be remodeled in Jesus Christ. Then there is the piercing of the flesh of his feet that produced blood, of course. But in that piercing of his feet, you were given the opportunity to have every step that you took protected. Every step that you took, as Paul said, he is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Every step. Now, that's what the body has done for you. Huh? Think about that. Every one of you in this room that have come into Christ have the body to thank for your ability to have clarity of thought, clarity of vision, clarity of hearing, being born again, spiritually and physically healed, and then the things that you apply your hands to to be anointed, and everywhere your feet goes to be blessed all came from the body. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that? You, 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 you pat your thigh. Now then, there is the blood. Now the blood is a, a, the most dynamic tool that has ever been used in the spiritual world. Because the blood operates one way in the earth and another way in the spiritual world. The blood has two distinct operations. One of them is on the earthy side, and the other of them is on the spiritual side. Now, on the earthy side, the blood was shed for you. Why was that blood shed? Because out of the body that was given for you was shed a blood because that blood was coming from a body that was made sin, but yet was a sacrifice. And it would be that sacrifice of what was made sin that had to be produced before God. On the heavenly side of this, that same blood sprinkled in the tabernacle made without hands brought you, now watch the difference. On the earthy side, that blood saves you. That blood saves you. That blood triggers grace, and grace applied saves you. And your faith comes into uh, uh, reality. The gift of faith comes into reality. And you apply your faith to that gift, and that shed blood of Jesus saves you. What a wonderful thing to know. Because all none of us would be saved if it, there had not been a broken body, and there had not been a shed blood. None of you would be saved today. Do you get me on that? Without those two elements, none of you would be saved. Now, on the heavenly side of this, that spiritual side, look what the blood does. The blood sanctifies you. The blood makes you his brethren. And the blood makes it to where he is no longer ashamed of you because you're sanctified by that blood. He sprinkled that blood on the vessels of ministry. So there is a difference between what happened with the earthy shed blood of Jesus and the sprinkled shed blood of Jesus. They're different. The applications, however, cover you. Now watch what happens here because I'm about to tell you something that you must understand. In the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are saved. In the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ, you are safe. They're different. They're different. Why do you say that, Pastor Mike? Because in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you, 
you are forgiven of your sin. In the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ, you become a brother who is safe. There is where we find once in grace, always in grace. We don't find once in grace and once in, uh, always in grace over here in the earthy side. That blood does not bring you into once in grace. Only the blood that happens in the spiritual world brings you into the safety. Because it is there that the Holy Ghost seals you. See, this blood stuff is quite significant. This body stuff is quite significant. So now we've seen the blood and the ministry and how that works. Paul knew that the body and the blood were of the essence when it came to having the work of Jesus applied to your lives. Well, I just showed you. On one side, he saves you, and on the other side, he uses the same blood to sanctify you and say, you are now my child. I've elected you. I've adopted you. You've become the child of the living God. And the same blood that saved you is now sprinkled for you so that you are safe eternally. What a plan. What a great God. What a move of God. How important is the body? Why? Because without the body, there ain't no blood. Without the blood, you can't be saved. Without the sprinkling of that same blood under different conditions, you will never be elected, you will never be adopted, you will never be a child of God, and you will never be sealed by the Holy Ghost. The blood, the blood, the blood. Back in the olden day, they used to gather around the altar and lay hands on each other and say, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. And, 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 that seemed like a real spiritual thing to do. But when you plead the blood over someone who is already saved, the blood that you're pleading of them, unless you understand the heavenly work of the blood, is only pleading for them to be saved again. What do we have need of being saved again? As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 6 says that we have need to leave those doctrines and move forward into the good word of God and taste of the heavenly things. And once we taste of those heavenly things, we don't need to go back into the old ways and the old doctrines anymore. To do that, the Bible said, causes us to crucify Christ again. And if we do that, what happens? There's no repentance for us. So we don't need to remain in the operation of the blood that happened at the cross because there's a subsequent operation, and we need to understand that. Everything okay so far? Everybody got me? All right. Paul knew one work was commensurate to the work that Jesus did on the cross. One work then, the second work of the blood, was commensurate to the work done in the tabernacle for you to become his brethren. Now, that's the thing. One work is done for you to be saved. The second work is done for you to be a brother of Jesus Christ. Now, right now, I want you to answer this question. Are you operating as a brother of Jesus Christ? Are you operating in your life as a brother of Jesus Christ? Because the fulfillment of the sacrament has got to come there. If it comes on the other side, then the taking of the sacrament is not discerning what the Lord has done for you. Paul's going to show us that in a minute. 
And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus said that we should eat of his body and drink of his blood. John 6, 53 and 54, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Now watch this now. You have no life in him. You have no life in him. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my body hath eternal life. And I will raise him at the last day. Now, the question is, where in Scripture, on the earthy side, do we ever eat of his body and drink of his blood? That's a good question, isn't it? Because we don't see that in the cross, nor do we see it in the tomb, nor do we see it in the resurrection. The only place we see the body and the blood eaten is whenever he uses that body and blood to sprinkle it upon us in the tabernacle made without hands, where we go to the table of showbread and there is the body and the blood. It's the only place we see it. It's the only place we see it. So what, what am I saying? What are you saying, Pastor? He expects you to follow him to the place where you can use the body and the blood. That's the expectation of communion. Jesus just said it. He said, if you're truly going to come into life, you're going to come to the place where the body and the blood is partaken of by you that will give you not only life, but eternal life. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? So life that is in Christ is in both his body and his blood. That life, according to Jesus' teaching, is eternal. So when you drink and eat, you are designating, now think about this, the eternal possession of the life of Christ in you. The eternal possession of the life of Christ in you. This is why Jesus said on the front of the communion tables, this do in remembrance of me. When is that done in you? That's the question. When is it done in you? Well, it's done in you according to Jesus' work as life in you now that is life eternal. So it's happening and should have happened in you already. Now, what a joyous occasion this must have been when Jesus looked around the table and he gave this offering to men. Now, watch it now because I'm about to show you something that is going to blow your mind. And one of them was to betray him. One of them was going to betray him, but he did not deny him the sacrament. And there's reason that he didn't do that. Because he knew that in betrayal, what was going to become of him. Okay? But I'm trying to teach you the Word of God so that not one individual will ever, ever partake of anything of the body and the blood of Jesus incorrectly, inaccurately. Not one thing of the body and the blood of Jesus would ever come upon you that would ever be anything but the blessing of the body and the blessing of the blood. Now, let's look. For as often as ye eat this bread, drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, 
Why? Because they don't discern, now look at that, not the blood, but the body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, now I want you to notice that little two-letter word there. It's a W-E. What's it saying? It is not saying the preacher, the Bible, Paul, is looking out and saying, there you go. I'm talking to you. He's not saying that. Paul includes himself in this writing. Therefore, Paul includes everybody that reads it. It is as much for me as it is for you that we are to judge ourselves before we partake in the communion meal. We must judge ourselves, and we must identify with these facts. Are we living by the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus Christ? Are we operating in a soul that is directed by the will of God, in a mind, will, and emotions that are renewed by Christ, seeing things through the eyes of Christ, hearing the voice of Christ, speaking the words of Christ, healed in our physical and spiritual self, in the church in the proper way, doing the proper things from the proper perspective of the new birth? Have we operated in the anointing that comes along with his body? And is our feet always shod with the preparation of the gospel so that wherever we go, we are always operating in the protective plan and purpose of Jesus Christ. And then the blood. Has the blood released and triggered grace so that grace can save you, cause you to die to the flesh, cause you to be resurrected with Jesus Christ, because as we know in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, the, the prospect of salvation is not your confession. That may be news to some of you, but the prospect of salvation is not your confession. That is not what the Bible said. The Bible said that you're in your heart you would believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then you'll be saved. For with the heart comes righteousness. Out of the heart comes righteousness. Now, we projected this to say all you have to do is confess Jesus as Lord. That's not what Paul taught. Therefore, we operate and we live in things that are inaccurate and inappropriate. And it's all because of lack of knowledge. Now, what did the writer in Chronicles say about lack of knowledge? People die for lack of knowledge. So that's why I'm trying to get, get us to understand the, the, the enormous seriousness and severity. Now, this schedule we did was done, I think we finished it in December. And so we're on Communion Sunday, and I'm teaching you about the communion process for one reason and one reason only, is that we, we manifest truth out of our hearts and our lives. So can you identify now the importance of Paul's message with respect to the body and the blood? Can I hear a yes or an amen? Can I hear it again? Now, it is of such great spiritual importance that Paul, as you saw, added a warning. 
and the warning is often overlooked. Therefore, we want to take special notice this morning, and I want all of those of you that are listening to me on podcast or Facebook, um, I want you to take special notice concerning what he states to the church, and consequently to us and anybody listening. The keeping of the sacrament shows the Lord's death until he comes. Why is that important? Because Paul says that in Romans 10, 9, and 11, And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Without his death there would be no resurrection. Without his death there would be no body. Without his death there would be no blood. But in that resurrection is your saving, is being saved. In his resurrection is your being saved. I highlighted that up there for you. Because we are telling people all the time, believe and confess and you're saved. And that's not what the scripture says. And then he goes down to tell us about one more position that you've heard me mention many times. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Righteousness is a critical component. You will never get to righteousness unless you believe the highlighted part of verse 9. You'll never get there. You have to believe that he was resurrected from the dead. And you have to believe that you were delivered with him and is resurrected in your spirit as he was. That's critical because you cannot undertake the body and the blood otherwise. The death must be understood if we are to be saved. In order to be saved, we must understand that he had to die to be resurrected. Okay. He had to be resurrected for him to become Lord, and he had to be resurrected if he is to come again. For this cause, he said, many are weak and sickly among you. We can now put some direct flavor on why sickness and disease and sometimes early death has come upon people in the church. Now, where do we direct that back to? Pure misunderstanding. Exactly what the Word of God said. Lack of knowledge. Sickness, disease. Lack of knowledge all brings about an outcome because we misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misused the body and the blood. That's why I will not let you do it. Someone said, well, you did last time. I know I did, and I'm correcting that today. I am correcting that today. We took communion last time, and we read through two or three verses, and we did not teach you this. And it grieves my spirit. And we are correcting that today. Why? Because we, what we did not understand was what the ramifications were of improperly executing the body and the blood. But I'm teaching you that today, and we're going to rectify that today. And I apologize both to you that took communion under those conditions and to God for not having more sense and more understanding than to attempt to serve you something of such magnitude. I apologize. I, I would not hurt you for the world, and I'm correcting that today. Please understand that. Now, here is one of the spiritual means the people lead that come, in, uh, come into sickness and even leads them to death. What does it mean? One has not correctly digested the body and the blood, and therefore they're bringing consequences and repercussions upon themselves by not understanding the seriousness of completing the sacrament 
without being in the correct spiritual mind. Now, why did I say spiritual mind there? Because in order for us to come into the body and the blood appropriately, we have to do what I call crossing the bridge between what Jesus did at the resurrection and what Jesus did after he left Mary. You remember he told Mary, I'm going to my father and your father. Don't touch me now. Remember that? Well, he, he crossed the bridge from earth into the spiritual. Now, in crossing the bridge from earth into spiritual, uh, he was led by what? Righteousness. What justified his crossing the bridge? Truth. He was justified to do so. So in doing so, he has brought us into a place where we can also cross the bridge. And righteousness and the robes of righteousness will belong to us. And we will cross that bridge and go into a spiritual dynamic where the body and the blood have complete and utter control and influence. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to be completely and utterly controlled by both the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. If I am completely controlled by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, this is what Paul said in Colossians. He said, the peace of God will rule you. If you don't cross over there, then the peace of God's not going to rule you. You're going to be in the midst of the earthy struggle. Everything you see is going to be perceived from the way your natural senses see it. But if you cross over into the spiritual realm, everything you see will be seen through the eyes of the Spirit. That's what Paul meant when he said that you don't walk after the flesh. Okay? Now, some die never having known this. Some die and go through conditions that are festering in their body because they never understood the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Think, think, just think about that. That we, as children of God, who are destined one day to die, do not have to die from sickness and disease. Many, multiple thousands do. But those that understand the body and the blood, and there'll come a time whenever their body will wear out. Now, someone said, well, pastor, I've been, I've been sick. I don't feel good. Okay. If you'll go with me today, we'll show you how the body and the blood will heal you. If you'll go there, we'll show you how the body and the blood will heal you. As a matter of fact, I've already shown you. But now we'll apply the body and the blood for your healing. What a great place to be. What a great thing to believe in. What a great thing to pick you up and encourage you. What a great thing to know that you can walk in the peace of God. What a great thing. Are you telling me, Pastor, that if we will come into this sacrament aright, that we can be healed? Huh. Of course. That's the only way to be healed. Are you telling me, Pastor, that if we come into this sacrament, that we can walk in this world? And our mind will be stayed on him and it will be peace to us. Yes. That's precisely what I'm telling you. If you will come correctly. This serious matter. Now we come to the point where we comes in. We're going to judge ourselves now so that we don't have to be judged. 
so that we don't have to be judged. Because Paul is saying there are two judgments here. One is the one that comes in correctly, applies the body and the blood correctly, walks in the spiritual world correctly, and God is saying to you, I will not judge you, and I'll prove that to you real quickly. Forgiveness operates in two realms. One realm is operated in the forgiveness that's at the cross. But when you come into the body and the blood, and you go into the throne room of God, you never meet with Jesus Christ for the need of forgiveness ever again. He is your advocate. He becomes your advocate. In other words, at the cross, the blood spoke. But when you join in the body and the blood of Jesus correctly, in the spiritual world, Jesus Christ speaks himself. That's what advocacy means. He pleads your case. He pleads your case. That's one of the reasons Hebrews 6 said, that you've got to leave all of these old things, come over into the good word and the good taste of the good things of the world that is to come. And when you do, what's going to happen? Jesus Christ is going to speak on your behalf. Now herein lies a big problem. Our world is being taught, go back to the cross, go back to the cross, go back and get forgiveness all over again. Well, the problem is, if we have come into the spiritual world operating by the body and the blood, the only thing the cross will do is bring into us the thing the cross was. What was the cross, Pastor? It was the place of forgiveness, but to get forgiven there had to be death. What is the tabernacle? What is Jesus doing for us by the body and the blood? Over here, he's sprinkling that on us, sanctifying us and saying to us, I'll now speak for you. If you, if, 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 if you sin, I'll speak for you. Why? Because you're elected, marked by the Holy Ghost, adopted and become children of God, citizens of a new kingdom of which Jesus Christ is king. And from that moment on, he speaks for you. Now you decide which world you want to talk in and whether you want Jesus to speak for you or not. Now, so what do you do? How do you get there? Well, you repent of your sins. We all do. Right here this morning, we're all going to pray. We're going to repent of our sin. You seek forgiveness. You bow at an altar anywhere. It can be here. It can be at your chair, wherever it is. Take care of your spiritual, spiritual business first. Die to your flesh. Go in. Now, now how do I get there? This whole thing is enacted by what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2. He said, set your affection on things above, not on the earth. How do I do that? How do I do it? I incline my soulish realm first. I go in through my mind. And in my mind, in my thinking, I incline myself. If you'd have heard me teach last night, I taught about the weightlifter. The ninth grade weightlifter come in. He's about as big as a pencil. We start training him how to lift weights. By the end of the ninth grade year, he walks up to the mirror. He's a little bit bigger than a pencil. He looks in the mirror and says, Look what I've done in three or four months to my body. What does he do now? He says, Now if I purpose... To lift these weights, if I incline myself to lifting weights, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and stronger. 
And the next thing you know, he goes from a, a little old guy that can't do anything, twig small, frail, to somebody who's got muscle. Well, that's where you're going. You're going to go away from this earthy side and the works thereof and go on over into this spiritual side, and you're going to do it by starting with your soul. You're going to conquer your soul, and you're going to conquer your thought process. And when you do that, you're going, to just, just, you're going to see the resurrection in your soul and you're going to go there and you're going to be risen with Christ and you're going to take on robes of righteousness. And as you do that, you're going to enter a kingdom of His dear Son. You will not get there if you harbor sin. You will not get there if you harbor the flesh. You will not get there if you harbor any of the 17 works of the flesh. You will only get there if you are willing to release those things and to give them back to the one of whom they belong. They don't belong in the spiritual world. They will never enter into the spiritual world. Therefore, if you're going to live by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, you cannot hold on to the earthy. It must be detached. Oh, you mean to tell me that's what? All of this is about. Now, here's the key. Look at the last line. It is as simplistic as that. It's as simple as that. Pray and allow yourself to provide, be provided forgiveness. Then once you've been forgiven, forgive others. Now, confess your faults one to another. I'm going to do that family-wise today. From there, you must operate in different fruit that shows that grace has operated in you to bring from you the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there are three, three fruits, three things about spiritual works you must know. Number one, there is the earthy side that is fruit of the Spirit. That happens after you die to the flesh. Number two, there is the fruit of the robes of righteousness that happen once you cross over the border of grace led by truth and you become the righteousness of God. There you become holy, beloved. There you become uh, humble of mind, kind, long-suffering, forbearing. There are nine of them, forgiving, loving, um, and long-suffering. Nine more things that are attached to you crossing over. God did not leave you without benchmarks. And then as you progress up to the very place where Jesus resides, a man in the Godhead, God gave you nine more gifts. They're called the gifts of the Spirit. So this is where you're headed today. Okay? Asking forgiveness, being honest with God in your spirit and in your heart. Now, I want to tell you something. I want you to look right here, every eye. What you tell me about who you are will do you no good. You could come up to me and say, Pastor, uh, like one uh, person told me not long ago about uh, uh, a man that was in pornography. You could say, Pastor, I'm steeped in pornography. I can't help you, brother. I have no means to help you. You could say, Pastor, I'm having an affair with my wife. Pastor, I'm having an emotional affair. Pastor, I'm stealing. I mean, let me look at you. I can't help you. I have no means to help you. The best I can do is pray for you. There's only one person that has ever walked the face of the earth that has any impact or influence on your ability to be forgiven, and it is Jesus Christ. So I'm not asking you to tell me. I'm not asking you to confess to me. I'm not asking you to confess to anybody anything. 
unless there's something between you and your wife you need to confess once you've repented of it. What I'm saying to you is that if you are to be healed, then confession must happen. Because only then can your prayers even be heard. Only then will the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. You'll only become righteous when you come through that gate. Okay? Now, we're about to go to prayer. Well, glory to God. Hallelujah. What's wrong here, Jesse? I've gone. There it is. At this point, I want you to make an altar. You can come to this altar. You can kneel where you are. You can bow your head where you are. You can do it any way you want to. But as you begin to pray today, I want you to examine your inner self. I want you to examine your inner self. And here's what I want you to be mentally thinking. Search me, O God. Unload my heart today. Try me, O Savior, cleanse my thoughts, I pray, and see if there be some wicked way in me then purge me from every stain and make me Let's pray.